Hey everyone, this is Prashant and I'll be host of the VCT Next podcast and today we have Steve Walsh with us. Steve is the founder of Hands-On Angel. He's an entrepreneur and angel investor with a 20 plus year executive portfolio across the sales, marketing and operations divisions of some of the largest technology and media companies like Comcast and Cox Communications. Steve has invested in over 60 early stage companies helping them raise millions of dollars in capital and countless connections by Hands-On Angels, key strategic relationships and partnerships. In this episode we talk all about what is Hands-On Angel, what Steve looks for in founders while investing, investing in underrepresented founders, diversification, value add and a lot more. So without wasting any time with Steve Strader. Oh wait, if you haven't subscribed to VC Tenex yet, please do and give us a five star rating if you find value in this episode. Now, let's start. Hey Steve, so good to have you on the VC Tenex podcast. How are you doing? I can't complain. Uh Life is good. Summertime here in New England and uh, my favorite time of year. So let's all right. All right. Love it. So let's start off a video story. Uh, what's your story like and how you started investing? So I was a public market investor for about 30 years. Uh spent most of my time in corporate America working for big tech companies like Comcast. I was a vice president at Comcast for like 11 years. And then I really wanted to get into uh private market investing in startups. And I had a thesis which was could I take my public market investment thesis which was dollar cost average in a diverse portfolio over time and use those returns and reinvest the dividends and could I apply that to private markets so that's really uh my story of how I got into investing and I've been an investor for a long time and um and when I started getting into angel investing I wanted to do it my way which was I I didn't just want to write you know checks I I thought that you know writing a check and then waiting for the quarterly update from the founder to cheer them on was sort of dumb money like that's a waste of time so I wanted to take an approach that said if I'm going to use my own money I'm a, I'm a solo GP um I'm going to do it my way which is why don't I see if I can be as helpful as possible because I have a fiduciary responsibility to the founder and to myself to make them as wildly successful and i knew i had the most valuable thing in my arsenal besides my gray hair and my years of experience was my network and i just have a massive network of super helpful people that i'm like what if i took this massive network i've spent the last 30 years building of 17,000 connections and why don't i make that available to my founders and bring this great network of resources and these great founders with great companies bring them together and see if i can make some magic and that's really where i started and and it just sort of took off from there. Awesome, that sounds great. Uh and uh let's talk about the contrast between public market investing and private market investing because uh even though there are some commonalities maybe but there are a lot of differences as well. So how do you contrast the two? Um I think private market investing you have to have a longer horizon. I've been very fortunate. I've been private market investing about 5 years. and i've had six exits so far um and i would call that highly unusual private market investing is typically a 5 to 10 year horizon from the time a company started to the time it gets funded and maybe even has an exit if they even have an exit such a small percentage do public market investing you know you can have wins a lot sooner because companies are already public they're liquid um so you can have wins a lot sooner i think the, the time horizon could be 1 to 5 years versus in private markets you just have to be patient these companies are are young they have to go through multiple rounds of funding which can take years especially in today's market and you have to have more patience when i got into this i had a 10 year horizon 
And the fact that I've had some wins in the first five years is great, but that wasn't my plan. It was really a 10-year plan. And I think you just have to be a lot more patient because the life cycle to build these companies just takes longer. That's the probably the biggest difference I've noticed. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let's let's talk about hands-on angel. Uh, that is your your firm that you're investing to. Uh, is it like you you are the one running the entire show there, or is it like a fund where there are LPs? Uh, so how how does that work, or is it a syndicate like setup? Yeah, so I have a little bit different approach. I'm a solo GP, so I use my own money. I'm not a fund, although I have invested through funds. And the way it works, um, Hands-On Angel is, is my, my company and, and an ecosystem. It's, it's not just my investment vehicle. It's a consulting company I use to help early stage founders. Um, and what ha- and the, way, the reason it, it came to be was I was starting to do angel investing, trying to be super helpful and making all these introductions. And I was actually on a podcast like this in Australia, of all places. And the, the person interviewing me said, you know, you have this interesting approach. You sort of have this hands-on approach with all these founders. You sort of like this hands-on angel. And my brother, who's an entrepreneur, was listening to it. And he said, he goes, that's it. That's the name of the company. That's the website. That's the brand. So I, I started to just do my thing and be overly helpful to founders. And a couple founders approached me and they're like, hey, can, can we... um." can you do more of this for us? Like, can you be part of our team? I'm like, what does that look like? Like, can we hire you? I'm like, well, I'm like, I don't want to work for anybody. I'm sort of a, like a, a, an independent contractor here. I don't want to work for a company. Like, no, just like do what you're doing, like as a consultant. And I'm like, that's a business. And they're like, well, yeah, you, all these introductions you're making are super helpful. And we got all these partnerships now. Can you just do that? And I sort of blew it off. And I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. I'll just be super helpful. And it happened like two or three times with different founders. And by like the fourth founder asking me to do that, I'm like, okay, there's a business here and I can be super helpful to founders and at the same time help them grow. And that's really where Hands-On Angel became. And for some clients, I help them with business development. For some clients, I'm helping them put rounds together with super helpful investors. Uh, And I'm writing checks at the same time of my own money. And I, and I don't do anything alone. Um, you mentioned syndicates and funds. What I do for a founder is I say, look, if I'm going to come into a deal, I like to bring friends along. And for me, those friends own funds. They own syndicates. Matt Wilson, who I know you had on your show, is a good friend of mine. He runs a, a fantastic syndicate called Allied. So Matt's a venture partner of mine. So what I'll say to a founder is, look, I'm going to come in, but I want to introduce my friend Matt because Matt is a thousand member syndicate. And if we can convince Matt to come in the deal, instead of just my check, you're going to get checks from probably two or 300 other people in a syndicate. So instead of 25 or 50,000, maybe we can raise two or 300,000. And then I have a few other friends that have funds and they write half a million dollar checks. So let's see if we can get a few of them in. It does two things for me, honestly. It validates my own thinking of, I think this is a good deal. Let me go see if people that are a lot smarter and have been doing this a lot longer think so. And for the founder, instead of them getting 25 or 50,000, Maybe we could put a million dollar round together. So it exponentially increases the investment size. So that's how Hands on Angel was founded. It's it's how my ecosystem's built. And I just like to bring friends along for the ride. I don't like to do anything alone. So I'm a solopreneur, but at the same time, I do investing with funds and syndicates alongside me that allow me to exponentially increase the amount of capital I can bring to a founder. Got it. Yeah, that sounds like a great business that I've seen. Multiple uh, investors do that on the side, wherein they are helping founders help raise their raise their funds and other things. But I want to ask, like, are you only doing it for founders that have raised from you, or are founders who have not raised from you but are willing to pay you as a consultant? 
are also capable of getting your services there? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't um, almost never, I'm almost never consult for someone that I'm not in their round. Like I like to have what I like to call aligned incentives. Like it's hard for me to say, oh, I'll help put a round together for this founder, but I'm not in the round. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. So I've got to have conviction for who I'm doing business with. So I will go out and and help them raise their round, but then say, oh, and as part of this, I'm going to come in with Matt, for example. I'll say, I'm just going to jump into Matt's syndicate that he put up a syndicate. I'll jump into that so I'll be in the round. I just think it creates aligned incentives between the founder and myself. I like to make sure we're aligned on everything we're doing, whether it's a fundraise, business development, whatever I'm helping them with. I like to make sure we all have aligned incentives. So it, it works out pretty well that way. Yeah, that makes sense. Besides, what's what's the investment thesis at Hands-On Angel? Do you have a specific thesis that we are only going to invest in these sectors or in these stages? What does that look like? That's a good question. So it's um, it's not just sector-based, it's stage-based and thesis. So uh, first and foremost, I almost all of my deals, which I've done over 60 now, it's been at the pre-seed or seed stage where I've come in. I've almost never come in as a first check at the A or B round. The only time I'll invest in an A or B round is if I was in the pre-seed or seed round and I'm exercising pro rata. So I typically like to go early. I like to call it post friends and family pre-series A is where I play. Most of the founders I will work with are raising a pre-seed or seed round of half a million to $3 million at valuations of three to $20 million. That's sort of my sweet spot. From a sector perspective, I love B2B SaaS. I spent almost my entire career in the B2B space. So I have a deep knowledge of customer buying cycles, CAC, how to drive, get share. So I love B2B SaaS. And then within that, uh, there are other subsectors I really like. I spend a lot of time in fintech and the blockchain and crypto. Um, I do think it can be the great equalizer, not just for businesses, but for the world from a banking perspective. Like, I think it's ludicrous that there are 8 billion people in the world and 1 to 2 billion of them have no access to formal banking or finance. It makes no sense to me in 2022. So I spend a lot of time in that space. Um, I do some spot stuff in esports and gaming because crypto, blockchain and fintech and esports and gaming are sort of doing this and they're intersecting. So if you're into crypto and blockchain, you typically would be into esports and gaming. Uh, and I'm a big sports nut. So I actually own, own an interest in a, in a company called Cold Hard Football Facts, which is an a, you know, a algorithmic based um, company that helps sports betting for football. So those are where I spend most of my time. And there are sectors I don't touch. I don't do a lot of biotech. It's too hard. It costs too much money. I don't understand it. I don't touch um, cannabis at all. It's a personal thing. My dad died of, of, of lung, lung disease, so I don't touch cannabis at all. And I've done some direct-to-consumer, but it's got to have something where I either know the founder or it's space I know well because direct-to-consumer can be incredibly expensive, cost a ton of capital, and if you're not a TikTok influencer, it's really hard to get share. So, uh, so I don't, I don't do a ton of that, but so those are the sectors I spend a lot of my time in. Got it. Uh, l- let's talk about founders. So what are the kind of founders that you're b- backing and what are the traits you're looking for in them while you're backing them? So if you, if you look at my portfolio, it's interesting, um, because about a third of my portfolio is actually underrepresented founders. And it's interesting because when you look at me, you, you look at me and go, wow, he's not an underrepresented guy. But I look at it as a competitive advantage. So if about a third of my portfolio is uh, female founders, LGBTQ founders, um, 
Latinx founders, African-American, everything under the sun. And it's not just because it's the right thing to do and they have had a disproportionately low amount of capital allocated to them over the years. But I look at it as a competitive advantage. Um, when you meet an underrepresented founder, they probably have not had the easiest time getting to where they're getting to. And what I have found is that there is a, a willingness to win and a willingness to persevere that you don't always find in folks that might not be underrepresented. And to me as an investor, I like to back founders that have that willingness to do anything for their company to win. Because when you look at why companies fail, a lot of people think it's because they run out of money. The reality is it's not. It's because the founder quits and it just gets too hard. So I look for those founders that when it gets hard, are going to work harder. They're going to run through walls for their company. So, um, and this is a people business. Like there are, because the companies you invest in will pivot, they'll change products, but you're really investing at the early stage, you're investing in people. So I look for founders that have grit. I look for founders that have tenacity, that have a no quit mentality and who surround themselves with people who can buy into their vision. I mean, to me, the sign of a great founder is not just someone that can build a product, but someone that can surround themselves and get people around them that are so excited about their product, they either want to buy it or go work for them. So I really look for that more than anything at this stage. The product piece, I don't get enamored with product because it's going to change and they're going to pivot over time. I really get enamored when I meet a founder that you look at them and you go, I don't know if this product's going to win, but this person's going to win. And I'm backing that. That's really where my, what type of people do I look for comes from. Yep. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds like a great, great approach because eventually it's the founder who's going to win because the product is, it, product is going to pivot. And I've had uh, GPs and investors on this podcast who have said that our biggest regret is not investing in a good founder because we didn't like their product, right? Because eventually they did a pivot and... Uh, and the product is doing great and they're doing numbers, right? So that is a great approach to invest in founders more than the product, right? Uh, besides, uh, let's make this interesting. So what's, what, what has been the most contrarian investment you've made till date? Most contrarian investment? Um, you know, I'll use, a, I'll use an example I use all the time. I, I invested three times in a company called Steezy, which is uh, it's a, it's a dance app, really. It's, so think of TikToks meets Dancing with the Stars. It teaches millennials and Gen Zs how to hip hop dance and pop dance and all other types of dance. A um, couple things to know about me. I can't dance. I stink at dancing and I hate dancing. And it's direct to consumer, which I just said I don't do a lot. But I met the founding team and I loved them. The growth was insane. They were very capital efficient. And then I look at the co-investors that brought me the deal and it was it was. It was like Jason Calacanis and like the, the, the laundry list of people in the cap table. I'm going, these are some of the best investors in the world. And they're all pouring money into this company. And I'm like, well, what the hell do I know? And I met the founders and I'm like, I can't tell you how the hell they're going to require customers. And I can't tell you how they're going to control the CAC from getting out of control. But I can just tell you this team's going to win. And they have. And I've invested three times. So that's one where it was a founder bet and it was a co-investor bet because of people I know and I'm just like, I'm just, I'm going to come in. And, and it was, uh, and, and since then I've come in two more times. Got it. Yeah. That's great. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, besides, uh, one more interesting question. Let's say you could go five years back and invest in one company of your choice. So it doesn't have to be your portfolio company. So any company, which company would you back? I mean, it's probably one I've already backed. Um, it's a company called phone bank, 
which my friend, friend Chris Duffus runs. He's the three-time founder um, of the company, sold his last company to SoFi. Uh, Chris came to me right out of an accelerator. I met him really early and he had an idea and he said, there's um, a lot of the world is unbanked, especially developing countries, Africa, Latin America, don't have access to banking at all. They can't even get a bank or a credit card. And he said, but they have a cell phone and they have prepaid SIM cards. And I didn't know this, there's 8 billion prepaid SIM cards in the world. And Chris said, I'm going to take the unused minutes on a prepaid SIM card. I'm going to put them on the blockchain and allow people to turn them into any currency in the world, regardless of where they are without a bank. And I'm like, if you don't get sued by every telecom company in the world, this is a billion dollar company. This is a billion dollar idea because it solves banking for the world. It uses the blockchain. It's, it uses something that every person in the world has right now. And I came in on the deal and um, my biggest regret is I didn't put more money in because I think I invested at like a five or $6 million valuation. His current round is at 35 million. And when I invested, he had like 10,000 wallets and he has a quarter of a million wallets connected now. I'm like, I, this company is exploding and I should have put more money in. I, I'm glad I'm in, but I should have doubled down. And it was one of those. And again, my, my thesis of, you know, get in early dollar cost average, similar check size across multiple investments. I probably should have doubled down on this one earlier because it's it, the company is exploding. They're doing real well. And now they have really big investors that want to put really big checks into the company. And we went out to raise a million and a half dollars. We've raised $3.5 million. Uh, and I love what Chris is doing. He's incredibly cap capital efficient. And I just think, and he's, I just think he's going to build this into a holy crap company. I really do. I think this is going to be a big one. Great. Great. Uh, let's, let's talk about diversification because you mentioned once diversification in, in the starting of the episode, I think. So what's your take on that? How are you looking at diversification? Are you looking to diversify in terms of sectors or in terms of the kind of founders you're backing or what what else? Yeah, I mean, so sectors in my portfolio, I have under B2B SaaS, for example, um, I have health tech, I have a couple ed tech companies, I have fintech. So I even say under B2B SaaS, I'm diversified. Uh, I'm diversified in that I'm doing both pre-seed and seed companies, and I'm doing some later stage companies where I'm exercising pro rata. So I'm diversified because I'm making bets at multiple stages as companies hit metrics and continue to grow revenue and uh, drive CAC down. I'm making additional investments. So I'm diversifying by stage. I'm diversifying by sector. I'm diversifying by type of founders. I've invested in founders that are you know, what, what you would think of when you think of an entrepreneur, you know, 22-year-old Stanford grad that is, you know, can code and major in computer science. And then I'm also investing in the 55-year-old guy that looks like me, who's a multi-time founder. Um, I've got first-time founders in my portfolio, and I've got seven-time founders in my portfolio. I'm not of the opinion that only multiple founders or repeat founders can be successful. I would agree there's a higher propensity for them to be successful because they know what to do and what not to do. But I have a couple first-time founders that even though they trip over themselves because they don't know what to do, they're just so good, they just kill it. So I, I try to make sure I don't get pigeonholed my thinking into, well, if it's not a multi-time founder, I don't invest. Because a lot of people, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was a first-time founder. I think it worked out pretty well. <laughs> so it doesn't mean you're guaranteed success. Um, and I've seen people that have started three or four companies that have no business starting one company. So you never know. So I try to diversify my thinking around type of founder, 
age, repeat, sector, stage. And, I, and to me, when you put all that into sort of my bucket of stuff, you go, wow, this is a pretty diverse portfolio. When you look at my 60 or so companies, I've got young founders, old founders, women, men. And I think that um, has helped drive my results and allowed me to have some wins really early. Yep. That sounds really well diversified in, in all aspects. Uh, so coming to my last main question, that is uh, one of the main questions in your respect, which is how do you create value for and help founders? Um, I think the, the way you create value is there are a lot of people that will tell you what they can do. They, they, you know, a lot of people out there saying, I can do this for founders. I have this. I have access. I like to show people what I can do. I, I'm a show, not tell guy. So I just start helping founders and we'll go something like this. Like before we realize how we're going to make money together, why don't I just make some introductions? Why don't I just introduce you to some people in my circles that might have capital, might have resources, might have partnerships and let you see the quality of people I surround myself with and how they might be able to help your company. And then you tell me if that's valuable. So with a lot of my founders that I've either invested in or might be clients of mine, the relationship literally started because I just started making introductions. And then like five or six introductions in there, like, Steve, this is really good. Like, can we do more of this? Let's formalize something here. And I've been fortunate to sit on some advisory boards and some boards of directors it was never at my ask. It was never me saying I require anything. It was the founder saying, we really like this relationship and would like to have more of you and formalize it. Will you join our board? Um, so the, the advice I would give people is stop telling and start doing and just start helping people make introductions, open up doors for people, help founders save time by not talking to the wrong people and put them in front of the right people. That's probably the secret sauce I have is I, I just start doing things. And when you have action like that and founders see that, I just think good things will happen. That's the advice I would give. Right. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Like, and every founder wants that kind of an person on the board who is always helpful and not just telling you, okay, this is right, this is wrong. Okay, let's not do this. Let's do that. Rather than showing them the way that, okay, let's do this and I'm going to help you do this, right? Plus, it's, I, we always have to remind ourselves, it's not our company. It's not our company. It's their company. It's their vision. It's their company. My job is to help and support and give you ideas. Your job is to decide which of my ideas are viable for your company and how you execute. And I think by understanding our roles, you end up with a better result. Absolutely. Yep. Now let's move on to our rapid fire question, wherein I'll ask you five quick questions and you have to give five quick answers. It'll be all regarding hands-on angel and investing, right? So the first one is, uh, what are the sectors and regions you invest in? Outside of the US, I've done deals in Canada, Europe, uh, and the far, in the Far East. Got it. And what stage you typically invest in? I think you've already, already answered this one. Pre-seed? Pre-seed and seed, yep. Got it. So what's the typical check size? There isn't one. I've written checks as small as 5,000 and checks as big as 50,000. Um, but when I co-invest, which I always do with other people, we might come in and take 100 to 300,000 of the round between myself and some friends. Got it. And where can founders pitch you? Um, you can ping me on LinkedIn uh, or you can find me on my website, handsonangel.com. I have a, a way to contact me there as well. Great. Uh, last one, uh, where can our listeners follow you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, Hands on Angel One on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, those are probably the two most pro prominent uh, things I do. And I do some Twitter Spaces stuff on, on Tuesday nights with some founders, which is fun. And also on Entra, E-N-T-R-E, joinentra.com. It's a, it's an, 
online platforms, one of my portfolio companies for creators. I do some investor office hours there where I talk to potential uh, founders who, who do pitches and we give them critique on their pitches. Got it. Sounds awesome. All right. So I'll make sure to put all those links that you just mentioned in the show notes below. Thank you for coming on. It was a pleasure talking to you and happy investing. Thank you, sir. Enjoy your day. My pleasure. Same to you. Mm-hmm.